Hello and welcome to the very 145th episode of the Shut Up and Sit Down podcast, the podcast all about board games, board games and the people who love board games. My name is Matt Lees and I am joined by Ava Foxfort. I love board games. And Sir Thomas Brewster. I also love board games. They're cool. <laughs> Correct answers in round one, leaving both teams with a tie. So today's episode is quite exciting in the fact that we are going to be leaving our atmosphere to the cold, chilly embrace of space. And it's going to be, there's going to be stars, there's going to be planets, there's going to be all of those things and more. And we've got two games we're going to be talking about that take place, coincidentally, in space. Cryo from Zaman Games. Zedman games, as they prefer to be called sometimes. Uh, a game designed by Tom Jolly and Luke Laurie. And also Moonrakers from IV Games, designed by Austin Harrison and Max Anderson. These are two games that come in blue boxes and feature bits of cardboard and sometimes bits of plastic. That's all the facts. And Everything else is just going to be opinions. And those bits are surrounded, don't forget, by space. Empty space inside the box that we will dive into and enjoy, question mark. Indeed. And let the question mark take control. (laughs) (laughs) Uh? What does that mean? That doesn't mean anything, but we could put a sting in somewhere. So Cryo caught my eye a while ago when it was first announced with a very striking piece of cover art of a spaceship crashing down into the atmosphere of a planet. It has a wonderfully distinct illustration style running throughout the game in terms of the work on the cards and the work on the board. And it's something that immediately is incredibly colourful for any board game, let alone for a board game set in space, Um, but also having a really unique vision of of a sci-fi world using almost topographical line stylings and lots of interesting fat little wedges of detail on things to give a world that is bright and and quite cheerful but also ever so slightly lumpy if that makes sense in a nice uh scritchy scratchy <laughs> way lots of words there I don't know if they're helpful in terms of giving people a, a way of imagining what it looks like. It's 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 a lumpy, scritchy, scratchy space game. Exactly. What more could you want? Another one in I that th- blaster genre. <laughs> I think it's like such a great, like uh, evocative, like seventies sci-fi cartoon comic, like slightly bo- yeah. bordering on surrealism in that way that like weird sci-fi of that era tended to do more than it does now. Yeah, absolutely, mark? absolutely. Um, so it, it's kind of like take away all of the wonkiness of 60s and 70s sci-fi programs and replace it with some sharp, clean edges and the kind of graphic design expertise that you'd expect from a company such as Z-Man Games. And you've got something that right out of the box looks incredibly tasty. Now, I'm going to not bury the lead too deep here and say that ultimately, unfortunately, we found this to be a little bit on the flat side. But it's got some interesting ideas and we're going to go through how it plays. So each player in front of them will have a little cardboard board with some indented cross spaces that they can land their tiny drones in. And each player has three of these plastic drones, which are these wonderful 3D printed um, or 3D plastic models that are just a joy to hold and move around your hands and place on the board. You're going to be moving these little drones, making noises optional, and landing them on different areas because bad news 
the ship you're in has completely fallen apart in space in the atmosphere crashed all over the planet and you have to go around now and collect bits and bobs you need from these different crash sites including bits and bobs that are your crew in cryopods and unfortunately because you didn't expect to crash land on this planet it's going to get very cold very soon and you have to get as many of your people as you possibly can into the cave network underneath the planet where they might stay warm enough to survive so effectively this is a worker placement game where you have your maximum number of workers workers at the start of the game cryo is a little bit more flexible in the fact that each space that you place a drone has access to two or three adjacent things it can do and it means that most of the spaces in the game or at least a bunch of them can be accessed by one or more slots so it's not as unforgiving as some other games where it's just like i've taken this action so you now can't the crucial thing though is that in addition to pulling out all of these cryopods which are just sitting on the board at the start of the game in quite large numbers these little colorful chunky um canisters that you have to get out and to before you can even think about getting them underground and save all these people you have the board in front of you has all of these little gaps in it which you can basically go and collect these resource tiles which you then flip over after getting them have a look at what it is and then you can either immediately just get that resource or you can place it into one of the slots on your board, which allow you to basically create some simple machines that every time you finish your turn, when you bring your three drones back to your board, you can choose to activate up to three of your little, very simple factory lines and get some stuff. Now, the first one you get in the board is very simple. It's just a case of when a drone lands here, you will get blank resource. And therefore, you can take a cool tile that you like. Oh, this one gives me two of the pink crystals. Great. Pop that in there. And then when you, for a turn, call back all of your drones to your board, you're going to get two crystals immediately. Interestingly, a lot of these things are already filled up with things you're going to get after that. And instead of putting the thing you get in as a little token, you're going to put in what you are required to put into that machine to get something out. So you might say, look, I'm going to put it so I put plant energy in there and then when I put a drone on that I'm going to be able to convert one plant energy into one electricity energy etc. The bit that got me excited was the fact that one of these slots that you have available to play around with in terms of these six drone slots that you can activate like little machines has both the input and the output tiles empty allowing you to literally create any kind of little machine you want to turn one resource into another kind of resource and the resources in the game here are not all just things like metals gems plant-based things and weird wibbly purple energy that is wild and can do anything but indeed also economies such as electricity which you're going to need to power your vehicles to get them down into the mines to drop off cryopods safely but also even the ability to pull more pods out of the board very easily or pull more cards from the deck or play cards so there's a lot of promise at the start of cryo that you're going to be able to build your own little engine that not only are you going to be doing things when you send things out into the world to collect things and save people and gain resources but also at the end of your round where you pull everything back because each player kind of has their own round you can pull things back whenever you want on your own basis you're going to be able to effectively have your own little machine that's then going to run to do all sorts of things so it's a very exciting promise this game right off the bat you've got a lot of thematic stuff going on in terms of this idea of having a race to pull people out and get them to the safety of the underground you've got this network of little caves 
uh, that you flip over one by one, that you can explore to go deeper and deeper into the planet, and exciting promise of having your own custom factory to produce stuff and turn resources into different things that you're also going to get to play with. In addition to that, you've also got these cards that allow you to do four different things with one card. Four things! Ava, do you want to talk about how that works a little bit? I really like this because this is reminiscent of a lot of uh, cultured games where you have these cards that on different angles of the card have a different ability or a different thing that it spices up. So if you tuck them into the top of your card, they are an action that you permanently have available to you. Um, If you tuck them to the left of your board, um, you end up with a bonus objective, something that will get you points at the end of the game for having done something particular. And if you put them at the bottom of your board, they're the robots that you need, the vehicles that you need to take the tiny cans of iron brew that need to be got from the surface down into the cave network. Um, and that's that's a really, it's a really nice playful decision. Like I built most of my engine around the idea of like, okay, I can actually set this up so that every time I'm getting the drones back, I'm going to be able to get and play um, new cards, more more of these cards. So I'm just going to be like focusing on building the best possible network of actions so that everything that I do is improved and more efficient. And that was really nice. And then when that went horribly wrong and all of my uh, tins of juice, which I believe are supposed to be people, um, were moved <laughs> back, uh, all of them died, basically. There was this horrible <laughs> thing, everyone dying. Um, I got disproportionately done in by that which was my own fault for not going and rescuing the people that could be disproportionately done in um but i then spent the rest of the time being like right how can i use these cards to actually be able to do the little that i can more efficiently and and there's some really cute things in there like i love Mm. the fact that um i love the fact that one of the best like little bits of theming in the whole game that is kind of like brutal and horrible at the same time as being kind of hilarious um is that one of the objectives that you can get is a memorial um and what this basically means is that you don't normally you get two points for getting a person underground plus the area controlled gubbins that go fits into some extra points for getting people underground Uh, but there's also a place on the board that means that every time x happens you get to do a little bit more of it and you have to put a person there to kind of put them to work and the memorial card lets you get some points for these people who you leave to die on the surface on the justification is oh no it's great they were doing beautiful lovely work and they saved us all from a entirely avoidable fate uh, which is grim and fun <laughs> yeah yeah that is and actually that ties into probably my favorite theming thing of the game in the fact that you're going to these areas with these drones and you are pulling people out of cryo well, I don't. I I've kind of stumbled on something I like, and also something that I find is very gently confusing. And you're pulling these cryopods out, but it's unclear whether or not you're kind of bringing people out of cryo when you're doing that or not. And I think this is kind of in a way, even though it looks absolutely awesome on the board, having all of these little, you say like little tiny ridged cans of coke and different bright colours sitting around the board. It looks fantastic, <laughs> but there is something deeply literally dehumanizing about <laughs> about having uh pieces that are supposed to be people being these little it's odd right it's it's it, we, we play games all the time where you're playing 
and you're representing humans as little wooden cubes, yeah? But I think there's something about the level of detail on these, right? The fidelity that actually makes it worse in a way for that because it's easier to kind of take these cubes and move them around and be like, oh, red cubes, red cubes are raiders. You know, it's just because there's so, so little detail there that your brain doesn't attempt to try and have a one-to-one on it. Whereas because these things literally just look like frozen cryopods of people you never really think of them as being people even though that is definitely the insinuation right yeah 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 there's there's not the same level of abstraction in how you're looking at them so you look at it and it's just like oh i mean i was just thinking them of tins of iron brew the entire time like they just (laughs) felt to me like it's like oh yeah i've got to try and get as many cans underground and it's a shame to have that in a game that's got like quite a strong theme and an interesting Mm. premise to have this thing where would it be better if they had they had actual standard regular sized meeples do you think like the the, the board game meeple we know and love because i see we i think that that has also become so ex- like abstracted from actually representing a person um that it might not work either way but i do agree that maybe the game would be better with a retheme where everyone's already underground and you're just trying to supply them with a load of cans just a big bag of cans for everyone. big bag of cans cans for days uh yeah it is kind of cool that it's the entire game doesn't really have any humanity in it (laughs) like there's (laughs) something quite interesting in the fact that like every you know the, the the thing that is doing the rescuing is drones Yes. The thing that is mm. doing the transporting is these robots with lovely little art. I really like the art of all of the different robots that are the cards you tuck into different places. The things mm-hmm. you are rescuing, rescuing are little cylinders with a lot of detail on them. And nowhere is there an image of a human. No, mm. no. There, there are no, no pictures of humans or, or creatures in any of the game, which I think is a, a really interesting choice. And I think it's just a slight shame that it, i just feel like for me the issue is that the, the theming doesn't quite gel with the production in a way because some of the aspects of the design i really like are the ones that are to do with these people being people effectively um i really like the facts like that you went for the memorial um, bonus at the end of the game ava because you effectively left tons of people on the surface but you left them on the surface specifically mining so i really like this idea of you being like quick we've got to get underground where it's safe but actually, initially, maybe let's just open up some of these cryopods, get some people out and get them to work mining resources <laughs> so we can more effectively build things to get us down. And that as a sort of like mechanic is really lovely. The fact that, yes, you can keep going and putting more and more people to work in these mines, but then you need to come back for them to quickly bundle them into a vehicle and get them underground at the end. Or in the case of Ava, maybe you don't. And I think that's the, that's the part, like that's one of the elements that I thought that's really neat that part of the board really spoke to me as having like a kind of life in it. Um, and also I got very excited by the prospect of the fact that um, using the mechanics of the game, you could purposefully have it so that people's cryopods that haven't been saved yet get blown up and the ships collapse. Because every time you're going to cycle your turn personally and say, hey, look, all of my drones out on the board, they're all going to come home and I'm going to run my little individual machine. When you do that, of the four parts of the ship that are on the board, you're going to be able to choose one of them to activate a kind of problem token. And these are kind of a mixed bag in the fact that sometimes the problem is looting in terms of you are looting, which means basically it's a problem that's good for you and that you've just turned up and, hey, I'm just looting some good stuff. But some of these tokens just have explosions on them. And there's no benefit to using those other than the fact that when you take one of those from an area the first of the three slots 
well, the next of the three slots along that contains cryopods will be destroyed. And any cryopods in that get wiped out. And I was really going hard for it in the second game of this I played <laughs> when I played this with uh, Ava and Tom and Quinns. And basically just pulling out my pods as quickly as I could and then just systematically, rather than just taking the fun little bonus of, oh, I could get a free thing from here. No, 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 no. I was hell-bent on just destroying those things as quickly as I could um, so that everyone's cryopods got put back in the box effectively and they couldn't save those people and again there's something about that which is just horrible in, in a lovely way um but it it didn't it didn't quite gel with the theming of the game in terms of the idea that you're all different factions that are all working against each other to try and take control of these caves underneath the planet because i think that's an interesting idea but then from that design comes a whole bunch of questions. The first question is, why are these factions all evenly distributed in all of the parts of the ship? And how, from being in space to crashing on the planet, are all these factions now so disparate that they are literally willing to sabotage each other and take control of each other? You know, it's, a, it's an incredibly quick collapse, and you would kind of assume that <laughs> if there were factions, then they might have been on different parts of the ship. It's a strange kind of half fiction which i my mind enjoyed but enjoyed whilst filling in lots of the gaps for it um it, it yeah. also does create a bit of a, va- a bad vibe in game day to gameplay terms as well as narrative terms like not only is it like oh we're on the planet and we're trying to rescue let's just kill each other but also like i i did i did lose a lot of my ability to do anything from very mm-hmm. very very early in that game and I managed to find a different game that I could play within it that did, you know, let, kept me competitive in terms of points. Like I did manage to scramble something together. But there was also a thing of like, I had so few people to rescue that I actually had them all on, ve- had all of the survivors on vehicles from about a third into the game, which meant that I then had another third that was like building up this little engine. And then a third that was just like, oh, I've kind of done everything I can do now. I guess I can try and rush things to finish up, but I should probably do a little bit. And it was like, I've, I I said after the game, like, I think this bag has, this game has a, I think this game has the uh, baggy third act problem or the like, the, there's a point in the game that's not as exciting as the promise of it because you kind of got yeah. things rolling. And then it tightens up at the end when you know it's really close to the end and it's like, mm-hmm. oh, right, okay, actually we have got to get, I've got, I've, I've got to do all of these things. I've got to do them before the end but there was just a period where i was just like going through motions in a way that was like i know this is getting me further and better but it's not interesting like it was really exciting at the beginning trying to rescue stuff and set up an engine it was really exciting towards like the first half of the middle where it was like all right everything's gone wrong i've got to come up with a new plan and then there was a big chunk of like okay let's just do this let's just do this and then a tiny bit of like oh is it going to end at the right time can i make it end before everyone else gets to get their people back because that probably would have won me the game if I'd been able to end it just a little bit sooner mm, but yeah. it didn't and it wasn't and it, it, it that was where the flatness came from for me like not in yeah like I could put up with a lot of the narrative flaws and and weirdnesses because I kind of I kind of like it when a game gives you like n- plot holes that you've got to fill in and make <laughs> horrible assumptions about in order to make things work <laughs> but the fact that the 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 play of it was there's a lot of there's a lot of exciting little push and pulls like things like how long are you going to leave people on the bits that make you more efficient there's lots of different ways of being efficient 
and you're building your own en engine in terms of the drone stuff but it's it's a simple little engine that you can get your head around quite quickly and the cards offer nice lots of options and lots of powers and lots of game bending stuff but it just didn't it just it just felt baggy it just felt baggy it felt like i was not connected i think there's something that's kind of like we're sort of skirting around generally when we're talking we're talking about theme and we're talking about things not quite connecting but i think that for me and maybe for you you lot around the table as well that the core of our problem with this game is more that it's just it's very smooth and it's very nice but i don't think anything out of it like sparked real excitement that you kind of get from that theme like the theme is saying, hey, this is a game about rescuing people from a crashed spaceship and it's about doing this and it and it sounds dynamic and fun and interesting. But the actual game, whilst there's clever stuff going on in there, there are some really things you can point to and go, that's a neat little twist on the Eurogame formula. Mm -hmm. That's a fun little detail they've added. Ultimately doesn't build into something that I'm finding any reason to like come back to. It's so fine. You can put it in front of lots of different people and they'll get the gist and they'll play it and they'll play it quickly and they'll play it cleanly but I don't know how much they'd come back for some kind of like spark that's in there. You yeah, know? It's, it's interesting isn't it? I think when you, you know, when you, when you sit down to play a Euro game for the second or third time usually if it's a great Euro game then you're quite excited to try a different technique or a different strategy or a different path and it's funny how sometimes you can be tremendously excited about something as simple as oh this time I'm going to try and uh, like mature by wood for longer to make more money at the <laughs> the specialist wood market etc whereas in this you have this real promise of cool stuff you can do like the upgrades you can slot on the top of your board are really powerful and really cool and let you do odd things that kind of like semi-break aspects of the game and even you know the reason i became slightly murderous in the second game was i thought well it has this whole mechanic of like you can purposefully try and race your people out and then sabotage things so that everyone else just loses loads of their people from the cryopods what a horrible thing to do but if you can have a faction-based show off showdown on a horrible crash landed ship then what better way to do it um but <laughs> i found to my dismay that actually doing that wasn't as satisfying as i'd hoped and actually because it's a euro game you know it didn't make that much of a difference at the end of the game i hadn't won and actually it hadn't really because people have found other ways to get points, it hadn't really impacted people that much. And I think it's a really interesting mashup of, of what happens when you try and uh, try and have this sort of more like uh, traditional kind of Ameritrashy kind of style, like exciting ideas and exciting take that options, whilst then trying to mash that into the format of a, um, of a Euro game, is you end up like just being a bit weirdly disappointed because you have things that feel like they're going to be exciting and bold. But within the framework of the game, they kind of can't be, you know, otherwise it doesn't work. Like if it's a Euro game, but at the start of the game, I can murder all of your farmers and then you're just you, you're just screwed for the rest of the game. But that's not <laughs> that's not good or fun for anyone, even though it seems hey, even I, do it's wanna, exciting. I do kind of want to play that game, though. I do want to play Agricola, but you can just totally just go to town on your opposing <laughs> friend's farm and just actually, I've never played Agricola. Just so burn maybe it down. Yeah, what you do in um, that game. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 tough right because i think a lot of the time a lot of these games are kind of hoisted by the petard of their own promise and i think that this one in particular it just has a, just such a striking alien wonderful look and it looks so joyous to touch and it has a handful of really interesting mechanics that you think oh this is going to be really good and yet you say it's it's all very smooth the the little engine you build on your board for when your drones come back um never really kind of reaches that lofty high of excitement you hope it will it doesn't feel like there's any way to kind of 
break the game in that fun way that you will often get yeah. in Euro games yeah. of just being like, well, what happens if I get six drones and pull it? Well, you can't. You have three drones. So there's a simplicity to all of it um, that leaves you feeling like the options for paths aren't as wide as you'd like. And there isn't as much an opportunity to kind of inject your own life into the game you're playing. You just, you have the framework that is there. You have the theming that is there and it's not quite enough. Um, but there was very little to get excited about, which I just found fundamentally really disappointing because, you know, we, we cannot say enough. This game is just gorgeous. The production it's on so it gorgeous. is some of the best work I've ever seen. It's just an absolutely beautiful collection of things. Um, the graphic design is just super sharp, super clear. I, it's 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 absolutely flawless. It's, it's probably one of the best pieces of production I have ever seen in the industry. Um, and yeah, it was just it was just gently slightly disappointing to discover that the game was just not exciting enough um, to to merit wanting to play it more than a couple of times. Um, well, hey, shall we move on to another game with some incredible production and really nice art design that? And then you can insert your own conclusion there. Yeah. To... <laughs> so I feel like we've got some... The next game on this podcast, you've got some slightly differing views about, I think, across the team. We do. So Cryo, yeah, Cryo were all pretty lukewarm on. But let's talk now about Moonrakers from IV Games. Moonrakers. Moonrakers. <laughs> Wow, I hope people's ears don't hurt after that one. <laughs> uh, this is Moonrakers. It's designed by Austin Harrison and Max Anderson, published by IV Games. And effectively, it's kind of a combination of a deck builder and a negotiation game set in space. Uh, all of the players in this game are sort of... I don't know if they're kind of like bounty hunters or Han Solo type figures who are off to go and have some cool adventures in their custom cool spaceship. And what do those cool adventures take the form of? 10 victory points. Because the first to 10 victory points will win the game. And the way you get those points is by going on missions or contracts. These are cards that are placed in the center of the table. They've all got various things you need to do to achieve them. And all the players around the table are going to be going on these contracts on their turn and then playing a sort of a little bit of a deck builder game to try and uh, accomplish those things. So for example, a contract might need three green cards and two purple cards. And in your hand, you've got one green and some purple, but you've also got a card that lets you draw some more cards and then maybe you'll have enough to make that work. So that's the core is that you're going on these contracts to try and get stuff. The twist is that you can ask any other players around the table to come on that mission with you and contribute cards. They play the deck building game as well. They play their cards from their hand to accomplish the objectives. And you can give them any split of the rewards that you want when you agree to it before going on the mission. But those missions are very simple. You just play uh, some cards from your hand to try and beat them. But the game is really in trying to bring players along at the right time and split the rewards and just get an edge over your opponent so you drag yourself across the finish line first. And it's a weird game, right? <laughs> like, it's a very strange combination of systems. But I do think that it does pull it off, just about. I think it absolutely does, personally. It's a, it's a very, very simple deck builder so the cards are both uh, very simple in terms of the powers and stuff they often do but also just incredibly basic in terms of what they look like um you know they're just like black cards with a simple monocolor 
um illustration in the center of it you know to be like this is an energy card this is a shield card you know there's there is text on the cards when you hire crew or get the more advanced kind of abilities that you plug into your ship but mostly it's a case of drawing these cards and having cards in front of you that at a glance you can see what you can do this turn to whether it's your turn or whether you're helping somebody else and i think the thing that's really killer about it in terms of it being horrible uh, <laughs> is the, the fact that you you're only allowed to play one card like as standard you you have a card five cards in your hand and you can play one now if you have an energy card that allows you to play another two and then if you have one of these other cards it allows you to draw more from the deck so effectively unless you're really lucky or you've built a deck that's really strong in that regard you're not going to have a hand that's going to let you promise that much initially a lot of what you're going to be promising to other players is the potential to be able to mm. help them. And you go, look, I've got a hand full of these cards that let me play more cards and draw more cards. And you think, I, 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 can, I know I can play like six cards and I know I can draw up from my deck another four cards. Now that seems really good, but you might not be able to actually help them complete the mission. And I found that that as an interesting space became a really lovely foundation for a game about making promises and negotiating because it's said in the manual this idea of like you know you can promise whatever you want before you get invited on a mission and you have to be um true to what you've agreed upon in terms of the split of the take on the mission um but the bit in the middle is just question marks you know you you, you can you can lie about what you've got if you want to to get people to go along on a mission um, and then know that you're not going to do very well. You can tank a mission on purpose. You can go along on a mission and then actually say, nah, you know, actually, I'm not going to play any cards if you really, really want to not make friends with somebody. Um, <laughs> but also maybe really severely mess them up at a point where it's crucial for them. Um, and that interplay, um, especially with the, you know, the 10 points of prestige you need to become the most prestigious uh, moonraker in the galaxy... I found to be a really interesting negotiation game. And often what you'd see with this kind of game is people just going off on their own and saying, no, 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 I'm not going to invite anyone on this mission. I'm going to go and do it on my own and trying to get all the glory for themselves. But in this, because you're always so unsure about what you could actually do, it always made sense. Unless there was something that was super easy and you could just do it straight away, it almost always made sense to invite somebody else along at least, maybe a couple of other people. And I think that the reason that this unknown hand system really works is the fact that usually you would find that these kind of negotiations would end up getting really stuck in the mud for a long time of being like, oh, look, I'm going to take this. You can take this, especially because sometimes you've got three different types of rewards for these missions. You've got like prestige points, money, and then maybe also the ability to draw cards, trying to come to an agreement of who gets what, when you have three different people going on a mission, offering different levels of support you think that would be something that the game would just get stuck on for 10 minutes each time. <laughs> In reality, because nobody really knows how good they are, uh, everyone kind of quickly agrees on stuff. You're like, how about a split of like 3-4, 2-1, And then people are like, sure, okay. Because no one knows. And that's kind <laughs> of, I think that's kind of great, right? You go in with your gut and you're not getting too stuck in the weeds of like, and I think that like, Quinns was the least hot on this game by all of us by a long margin. But I think at the same time, he's such a shrewd negotiator in games where you have perfect information. I think if we'd had more information about our hands, the negotiations would have just been way slower and way more painful because he would have gone into things being like, this is exactly what I deserve to be involved mm. in this mission. Mm. And 
and you wouldn't have the wiggle room. Whereas, um, I mean, I had plenty of wiggle room, didn't I? I was, I was a pretty. <laughs> <laughs> you managed to wiggle onto pretty much every single mission in the game. I think I did with my with my ill advised but fun one pound promise. <laughs> I will come along on your space mission for just one pound. That's all I want. A pound. By being um, like an intergalactic pound shop, you manage to like yeah. wheedle your way into so many things. Yeah, yeah. And it like and like build relationships with people in a way that meant that people trusted you and understood what you were going for and were willing to go with you quite a lot in a way that was quite uh, nice. I did not trust Matt for the entire duration of that game. <laughs> and that's why you lost. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> well, this is it, you know. It's there's there's funny different elements to this that I really enjoyed. I enjoyed the simplicity of the deck building. I enjoyed uh, things like hiring the crew, where all of the art was quite abstract, even for the character art. But you had a real sense of some interesting and fun characters within that. Um, and I really love the fact that it wasn't as simple as me just going along, boosting my way to victory by going along and saying, "I'll oh, come along and do for nothing. Just bring me along." Because every time you went on a mission, you had to roll these. Um, these hazard dice and the harder missions have more hazard dice and part of what you'd agree upon before going on the mission was who's going to roll how many dice yeah um and that was kind of horrible because because there were so few because there were like two or three hazard dice if you're going along chances are you're going to be asked to roll one of the hazard dice and there's like a two in six chance that you're going to get one hazard maybe a two in six chance that you're going to get two hazards and a two in six chance that you're going to get nothing i might not be 100 percent correct about that but i think it's roughly about that which means you could go along and say, look, I'll come along for one pound. Just give me a pound of the money if we do it. But then if you roll two hazards, right? If you couldn't block those two hazards with shields of your own from your hand during that round, you would lose prestige. So you'd, you'd actually be going into missions for not a lot. And then if it went badly for you, you would be falling down the score point track <laughs> um, because you were going along on a mission and smashing into asteroids or something. I mean, in, in my head canon which I felt the headcanon this, in contrast to Cryo, I felt like this world and this setting really came to life in my mind quite mm. easily. Um, I found the idea of me being... I was so skin. I was at the bottom of the leaderboard. <laughs> I had no money. Everyone else was buying upgrades to the ships, new guns, new crew, and I had nothing. I was still in the basic starting thing, and I was like, oh, God. Like, what, who's going to take me on a mission? I've got nothing to offer. So I was low-balling and just, like, just going under everyone on prices and just saying, look, take me along. I'll just take one pound. Um... But then the issue with that is it means that like you've got a good chance of just actually coming out of it worse than you went into it. And because of that, it meant there was no dead shores. And also I felt it helped a lot with the rubber banding towards the end of the game, which is, I know, an evil word for lots of people. And maybe <laughs> what Quinns didn't like about it, amongst other things, is the fact that it does tend to be that people get high up the track and then people don't want to invite them along on missions. Yeah. Um, they don't want to have them helping them. Um, and everyone kind of gets a bit stuck at the top. And I thought that these hazard dice was a really nice, were a really nice way of getting around this because you could basically start to offer people who were on the verge of winning kind of bad deals. And I was doing that to, to you, Ava. No one would invite you on missions, but I continued to invite you on missions. But I'd say, look, I'm only going to let you have one victory point and you have to take two of the hazard dice. Yeah, yeah, and it yeah. meant that like you went into it with a chance that you would like, lose three victory points rather than gaining one. Yeah, and yeah. that's that was fine, and that was that. I don't know. I think that there's a lot of really clever things that this game does to make it so that the, the negotiations are 
mostly pretty precise like it's very clear who's getting what who's getting more who's getting less although things are worth different values to different people depending on how far the track they are and where they are in the game and what they're trying to do but also just hiding just enough behind the random chance of your hands um, and the draw and the random chance of the dice to just you just have to be able to say like yeah let's give it a go sometimes and you know that there's a bit of a gamble involved and there's always a bit of a gamble and all you're doing is mitigating that risk and you're doing that not just in the way you would be in any deck builder you're trying to mitigate risk by having the right cards in your deck and knowing that you've got an engine that works a certain way but also in the way you're negotiating also in what you're promising to people what you're offering to people like making sure that you are getting the right thing and i was like sitting up at the sitting up at the the top for a while and uh, like possibly one of the it's, it's a complicated there's a complicated thing there in that like there was like a good two rounds where barely anyone was inviting me on things and so I was playing the game less because I was winning and that's a bit of a a bit mm. of an odd feeling but mm. I was also using yeah. that time to kind of work out like like what I the way I figured it once I got within three one two or three spaces of the of the top the game switched from being like, no, actually, now it's not about negotiation so much as how have I built my deck? Um, is there anything that's going to come up that is something that I can take on my own? Like, and that's such a lovely progression in my mind that like a lot of the early bits of the game is just like everyone's getting stuff and everyone's getting things and negotiating is quite fast and loose and playful. But what you do in that time when things are playful and people are being friends and people are like building relationships and working on how they're going to negotiate with each other. What you're doing on that time is under the hood, you're building your deck, you're buying your power-ups, you're getting that like ship parts that give you, uh, add things into your deck, but also give you like bend some of the rules for you um, or give you special powers. And there's something really nice that you are like invisibly changing yourself in a way that people can't keep track of but you can keep track of yeah and so you there's there's something hidden that is changing all of the time in everyone's play and yeah i don't know it 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 blends those two things so well by making the deck building so simple but with crew and ship parts in particular that really twist what you can do and give you really exciting options um, on top of a really, really simple, straightforward core. And all of that is kept in a way that is so clear and open, mostly, that you have got a solid negotiation thing that doesn't rattle on too long. I can imagine some groups this being a painful game with. I can imagine if you've got a group of people yes. who do not, will not accept the notion of someone else gaining something on their turn. Like if you've got a group that is like that thing, this could become a very, very horrible game of people building up like, oh, I'm just going to build my engine. I'm just going to take the little missions that only that I can do on my own until I've built myself up stronger. If you play it like that, oh, terrible. It'd be terrible. It would be terrible because the only way you can, yeah, the only way you can really refresh any of the missions that are available to take are by taking the action where you just stay at home and you just don't go out to space this turn, which sounds like, a really boring thing to do that you think I'm not gonna do it but actually we didn't do it that often but when we did it felt like a great choice I felt quite happy about staying at home because <sighs> it was usually that my hand of cards was so terrible and my situation was so terrible that actually just just staying at home and not losing points and getting a tiny bit of money and getting to refresh some of the cards on the table 
that was a grand choice. I was happy with that. That was like, I didn't want to go into space again. Because I think the reason that works is that actually, like, the, the, there is 100% parity in terms of when you are involved on a mission, you are playing as, exactly as if it was the mission that you've chosen. Like, there's no, it's not like you're going along as an ally and you do an ally thing. It's like you just, you all play the same game of playing cards in front of you and then you see if you can collectively get enough of those cards on the table. So really, this idea of, oh, it's my turn, the only thing that's unique about your turn is the fact that you have control over who gets invited and you can go on your own if you want to. And yeah. so, yeah, you are building towards that. And because you have this tableau of nine different space missions available at any one time and because they don't get cycled very easily they only go off the table when they're either achieved or when they're failed i think or when somebody specifically gets rid of one at the start of the game you can kind of early in the game see what missions there are and a the really easy ones you can do on your own get snaffled up very quickly and then you're just left with loads of harder ones <laughs> and b you can see the spread of stuff quite easily and, and a, a really subtle touch i loved in the art design of this game is the fact that these pieces of art were clearly done with Photoshop layers with the colors then set to match the colors required to do them. So if something just required guns, it would be a completely orange picture. But if it required guns and some crew cards, then it would be orange with some bits of purple. And it was kind of loosely proportional to what was required, um, giving a game that has a very stylistic, minimalist tone a sort of readability um, that I know Tom had some trouble with with uh, the uh, weapons doing that and having stuff that's kind of forgetting what did what because yes. of a bit of their colour oh. use. Um, so frustrating. But, yeah, I mean, you know, like, I, you were the only person that had that issue. It's, yeah, it's, it's true. It's, uh, it could be an errant bit of uh, yeah. design stuff. I don't I know. I, I, I nearly fell in that hole and I saw that there was something and then twigged a bit too late. I think the thing that I found frustrating about the the one because I am also a little bit cold on this game. I think it's really clever. That negotiation aspect is so strong and so malleable in concept. Um, but I struggled with it in practice a bit, where I thought, oh, I'll spend you know I'll, on my first turn, I was like, oh, okay, I'll go on a little simple mission just on my own to test the waters and see how the card play works or whatever. And then because everyone else had already established a kind of trading relationship around the table, I then felt like I was kind of cut out of a lot of the later deals. And then I had this, however, managed to eventually get spun into some of these deals and get some points. But the last stretch of the game for me was like pulling teeth. I found it so frustrating having that jostling for the top position where you're right at the top and you need to do one mission and i was offering myself going like oh I'll come on this mission I'll, i need nothing because i made this lunge for victory where i bought a specific ship part that was going to fulfill a secret objective and i sort of viewed those secret objectives as the only thing that's really going to drag you to the top of the board unless you're trying to take missions on your own um but I, I lunged for that thing and then I misread a card, which meant I added a load of other cards to my deck, which trashed my deck. So I was drawing terrible hands and I spent like three turns in a row where I just stayed at home and didn't do anything because my hand was terrible. And you want to be honest and tell people, hey, this is my hand. This is what I can provide. And at that stage in the game, no one wanted that hand. It got to a point where in the, the, the late, late game, I was sort of just sat there with my hand of cards being like, hey, I'll go on this mission. Everyone went, yeah, all right, sure, fine. Uh, anyway, let's talk about this. Uh, let's talk about this actual deal somewhere else. Because <laughs> you don't want to <laughs> cut the winning player in and the winning, and then when the winning player can't manage missions on their own, they are effectively just sat waiting for someone else to win. 
Um, yeah, and it's it's interesting because I, I didn't I didn't find that because I just saw the I saw the value in inviting people who are winning along, providing they were willing to shelve to shoulder huge amounts of the risk. And I think yeah. the reason you won't get invited on those is because you were you were approaching it quite pragmatically, and you'd be like, oh, I want to come along, and then as soon as someone was like, well, you've got to take this much of the risk, you were immediately like, I don't want to take that much risk, <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, okay, well, I'm going to talk to someone who does, uh, and I, I could see the frustration there, but I also I think it's. It's an interesting thing. The thing for me that I loved is that it felt like a game which naturally told a story um, and naturally kind of came to life in my mind. Like the fact that I was just skint and useless and then I eventually managed to get myself some money together. And because Ava said about the kind of um, strangely opaque nature of what people are doing, I just went mad for guns and I just bought loads (laughs) of guns and loads of special upgrades for my ship that would make me effectively way too good at destroying anything that required guns. Uh, you know, I, I was quite easily able to whap out about 13 points of gun gun damage in a round when the highest thing we ever needed collectively was about nine. It was just <laughs> too much. Um, but also it was the fact that I hadn't realized that everyone else had kind of got some guns and were okay for guns. So I, I, I like the fact that I turned up on the scene, this plucky person who'd made their first amount of money and then being like, oh, I'm here, I've got all the, I'll help with all the gun, gun missions. And everyone was like, <laughs> we're kind of fine for guns. And we'd just be like, oh, I wasn't no. fine at all. I wasn't trying to let anyone know, but I had like almost zero guns uh, <laughs> towards the end of that game and was just relying on the fact that I could bring you on anything that needed guns. Um, well, maybe that's why our relationship was working there. Yeah. Maybe it wasn't just about the about the rapport across the table. It yeah. was actually because we had decks that filled in the gaps of each other. Um, but also, you know, I think uh, all I'd say is that like I, I think it was uh, in my mind a game that felt like a pure negotiation game with a very simple deck building element. Yeah. Um, and I love that, but I found it interesting in the fact that like Tom and um, Quinns didn't gel with it and didn't like it at all. I think it really might come down to how your group like to play negotiations and games and how you mm. play them. Because the thing I found really interesting over the week we played a bunch of games together was um, we played Inish um, for the first time as the four of us. But I realized when we started playing it, I realized that like I was kind of like taken aback almost by some of the ways that Quinns was playing it. And I was like, this is weird. But then I realized when I started thinking about it, I'm like, oh, you know what? Even though this was a game that Quinns reviewed and said was fantastic and then I got a copy of it and I played it tons, I realized I hadn't actually ever played it with Quinns. Um, <laughs> we both played it lots, but individually. And I realized when we played it that actually we just play the play in it very differently. Um, mm. and I found myself playing this game like Inish and the fact that it's like, okay, well, the person who wins is going to be the most prestigious person in this squad of people who go around space doing jobs. And the fact just like at the end, it was like, just like Inish. It's like, we're all a squad. Who's going to be the leader of the squad? Who's going to be the coolest person <laughs> in the squad? And in Inish, it's like, we're all one clan. Who's going to be the person in charge of the clan? And it's not like, who's the person who's going to dominate the clan? It's like, who's the leader? And so you are playing a strategic game as you go on a tactical game to try and get yourself into the best position possible. But really, it's fundamentally all about those relationships as you go. And it was funny, in both games, like Ava won in Inish and Ava won in Moonrakers and kindly brought me along for a kind of joint win, which you didn't have to do. But in both those games, I was like, yeah, cool. Because it felt like, you know, felt like we'd gone on all these space missions together and there was sort of characters and unfortunately tom your character was the sort of person who was like i'm gonna go do a mission on my own and then my when character you sucked. Them, you're like i don't want to take any risk i just want the money and it's like <laughs> well um but yeah it's an odd one right because you have this sort of game and i think this is something that 
definitely is worth bearing in mind because I think that people who bounce off Inish in a hard way would bounce off this in exactly the same way. The fact that it is kind of an engine builder, but it's an engine builder of social connections. And if you get to the end of the game and you haven't built relationships with people on the table, whether that's a case of going soft on them and attack on Inish or purposefully just trying to be slightly nice to them when you could be mean or inviting them along to a mission when they're really not confident they can do much in this, then you haven't got the engine to to help you get over the line. You know, you, you need to have that kind of mm. um, support from other people or at least maybe not support, but acceptance, you know, that respect. Um, and I think <laughs> of that's... Which I had, I had none of, so, you know. <laughs> you didn't, I mean, yeah, I respect you as a person, but as a space pilot, you didn't have a huge amount at that point, Tom. You know, it's, <laughs> there was an awful lot of, I'm doing this on my own. You can't have anything. And it's like, okay. <laughs> yeah. It's, it, it's a weird one though, because I did feel like, it, it's a strange one where you yeah you need to get those connections building early like you can't have any time to like because i think i misjudged it and by going on the first mission on my ones it was like oh right like i'm now one mission behind everyone else's connection do you know what i mean yeah um and i think i think also one thing that got folded into that was who you're sitting opposite with you and ava sat opposite each other and i was sat opposite quinn's and while you and ava were doing negotiations i looked at quinn's and went do you want to go on this one and he went no <laughs> <laughs> great that's my negotiation partner in the bin <laughs> um but yeah it's a weird game i think personally like i had a significantly bad time with it that i wouldn't go out and recommend it but you two sound like you had a really great time with it so you know uh if, i if i honestly you... really loved it but i would say like just to to end the in the cake with a bad cherry um the box is just gigantic and it's way too expensive <laughs> yeah um oh, is it really expensive uh, yeah yeah it's i think it's about you know 50 55 60 quid okay. um and it's just it's a very large box for a game which is effectively a card game um yeah. and i think a fun card game and I love the art direction of it. I love a lot of the production qualities on it. There's some delightful spot gloss and stuff. But there's also a whole bunch of boards which which you sit and have cards next to and some cards on. And they're cool looking things, but they're not necessary. Um, yeah. And there's a lot of stuff in the game. And particularly when you just take it out of the box, it could have been in the box half the size. And I know this is a drum we bang all the time and big boxes sell and it's kind of an impossible ongoing problem that we try and solve, but we can't really solve. But... um. <laughs> Yeah, I just felt like actually it was a really tight negotiation game with a lot of theme. And I think for me, because one of my favorite things about it is the fact that the art direction, the art design, the sharpness of it all is so great. I just think, oh, if this was a game in like a quarter size box, you know, like just the cards, don't need, you know, you can have a little player card rather than the player board. Um, it could be just a fabulous little negotiation game that I would love. Um, to recommend i just think as it is it's just too big it's too yep. big it doesn't need to be that big i can see that i can see that i think it's the price for me is just like uh, it's, it would be such a solid like midweight negotiation get it out have a little bit of fun work out whether you've got a good route for it like i do think i do worry that part of this is actually just me and matt just getting on very well at that particular time during the day <laughs> and just being like we saw i think we saw a different game in it than you totally did and yeah. that was great fun uh but yeah i am a bit worried about the fact that like half of the table had a miserable time uh for maybe we should come back to it and, yeah maybe we should I, I don't i mean i don't Moonrakers. i i don't think you want to i don't think quinn's would want to i yeah. think it's i think it's fine i think it's one of these games where for whatever reason when you have um these different mechanics interacting you know it's like 
I think there was some really clever stuff in there, but I can see that if you look at it from a kind of uh, a more distant, pure view, it's just like the deck building just seems very simple. Um, the negotiation stuff maybe seems a little impossible, but it was fundamentally a negotiation game. That's the key thing, right? It's like you couldn't yeah. play it like a deck builder. And I think that maybe that was the issue as you and Quinns were sitting there trying your darndest to play it like a deck builder and do well <laughs> like that. And you can't. Like, it's you don't get to build very complicated decks. You don't get to change your deck that much. Um, it's it's really about um, hustling, you know, and and yeah, and, sure. and and trying to get involved with stuff and going along for a pound and and saying, listen, I'm rubbish, but I'll take some of the risk. Like, you know, like <laughs> um, uh, that kind of pitching. And uh, I I felt that what I liked about it was that actually it was a negotiation game where like it created that sense of camaraderie and that sense of like, we are all trying to do the same thing. Why don't we try and work together to do it? Like, you know, um, it just, but yeah, I think, I think it's interesting. And I think actually like the connection to Inish for me is the thing that's maybe going to be most useful for people in terms of trying to work out um, whether it might work. I don't think it's as good as Inish. Like, you know, I think Inish is just fabulous and it's like a much more sensibly sized box for what it is. And even though uh, it's still too big, but whatever. And uh, it's, you know, more affordable, etc., more interesting. But I think that this is like really cool sci-fi flying ships together. Oh, come on that mission. <laughs> Imagining stuff in your head stuff. But I do think that the wrong group or the wrong sorts of people are just going to bounce off it hard yeah. and go, I didn't like that. And for like 50, 60 quid, I want a game that is more reliable. No, I want a no. game that I can put in Absolutely people and not. know no. that they're going to like it rather than feel like there's a lot of people that are going to bounce off it. Um, I would also say that my thing rather than Inish would be Cosmic Encounter in terms of like, the, it's not at all like Cosmic Encounter, but the <laughs> fact that negotiations and budging people out of the way leads to quite often having everybody being right next to victory until someone yeah. can find a way to squeak it through like yeah that's the thing yeah. that people bounce off with cosmic encounter and if you do bounce off that you're going to bounce off it here as well because it's yeah it's yeah present especially because we form. we just sort of decided to try and go for a joint win which i know around lots of sorts of tables would be deeply contentious <laughs> and people would say why would you do that ava when you can win on your own and I, the answer is it thematically feels kind of nice yeah it yeah. felt it felt nice and like i could see on the table i could see i had like a guaranteed win for myself on the table and i was just like mm -hmm. i would rather share this win i've mostly got here because of matt so it makes sense and it would be funny and there was a chance that i would lose and matt would win as a result of it and that was just hilarious <laughs> yeah, yeah. like i didn't twig that yeah. until too late and then i was like oh oh no that will be funny though <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah if, if you'd rolled those had a hazard dice it would have been the story of you being yeah, like yeah. we've been together since the start as mercenaries i want you on this job for the big time and then you smashing into an asteroid i've got all the money bye um so yeah, that's Moonrakers. I think like uh, me and Ava uh, got a real kick out of it as a sci-fi negotiation uh, friend making mini deck builder. Quinns and Tom did not like it very much, but I think we can all agree that it's um, in its weird. current form just too expensive and too big. I don't think it's that weird. I don't think it's that weird. Um, but, <laughs> but hey, I liked it. I found it kind of exciting. I wish I could recommend it, but it's just too expensive. Um, and there we have it two games both in space some of which we like some of which we don't like but neither of which we can really recommend um so hopefully we've saved you from creating a bit more space in your wallet Whee! Whee!